Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream at 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Stanton Church. We are so glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us online as well. Just a quick reminder, under the uh, chair in front of you, there may be some Bibles. And if you need a Bible, there it is. Take it home with, we, with you. Uh, for those of you online, if you don't have a Bible, if you get a hold of us and let us know, we will make sure we get one to you. And also, when you came in, you were handed a Connect card, and there are Connect cards available online as well. Uh, the front is, if you come all the time, just you can put your name on there, and we know who you are. If you're, it's your first time or second time visiting us, or if you have something you want to pass on to Josh or to the pastor, uh, go ahead and fill that out. And then you can write prayers on the back. And every Wednesday, we send out a prayer letter so that people are praying for those prayers that you write on the back of that card. And if you don't want me to send that out, you just mark confidential. Pastor Steve and I will pray for those things, but we won't put that out in the, in the uh, prayer letter. So if you don't get the prayer letter now, you just email me and let me know that, and I'll make sure that you get added to that list as well. So um, we are in Jonah, and we've been going through slowly. I want to kind of recap, if I can, where we are. Um, We are just going to start chapter 3 today. So in chapter 1, we learned about the importance of repentance and and how we need to work to overcome those habitual sins, if you will. In chapter 2, uh, over the last couple of weeks we talked about, and I think the important thing there that we learned was that working through that repentance is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. It's we come back again and again. That brings us to chapter 3, and today I want to talk about three more lessons that we can learn from Jonah. And one is, is that God is in complete control of the situation. Uh, the second is, is that it all comes down to grace. And the third is that God is serious about you and I, about us sharing the gospel. When we ended last week, you might remember that the fish had just uh, vomited Jonah up on the beach, right? And he, he did that, that fish did that somewhere along the west coast of Israel, around Syria. We're not really positive where, obviously, but, you know, I just think the poor old Jonah must have looked like uh, something from a whole nother world, amen? I mean, can you just imagine, like, being spit out of a fish, and he's all wet and slime and pieces of whatever else the fish had been eating, kind of sticking his hair and in his clothes, and his clothes would be all wet and probably torn. Who knows, maybe even partially digested, right? Um, it, it, they're hanging off of him, and Jonah, you know, his hair all matted and beard full of stuff. I mean, he had to really look like, like something else, right? And now up, in, up to this point in the, in the sermon, I've actually intentionally not talked about the, the, you know, that big question in the room that most children and new believers ask um, when it comes to Jonah is, how could he live in a fish for three days in the belly of a whale? Well, the short answer is, it was a miracle. (laughs) That's the short answer. It was a miracle. No one can explain it, right? There are, in fact, 10 miracles that occur in Jonah, which is a book of only 48 verses. 
There are chapters in Matthew longer than the book of Jonah. And there are 10 miracles in this book. And while no one knows uh, what kind of fish or sea creature it was that swallowed Jonah, we know, according to the Bible, that God prepared for the fish to swallow him. And after three days, God commanded the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. Those two things and what little were told in chapter 2 about Jonah inside the fish are a miracle. And it was all part of God's plan for the salvation of the people of Nineveh. That's what we really need to know about Jonah, amen? Amen. So with that in mind, let me, let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, opportunity to speak again, Lord, and thank you for the chance to share this message. I pray, Lord, that my words are true and they are of you. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and, Lord, you would teach us what you want us to know. Lord, uh, please, let them not just be words we hear, uh, Lord, or, or things that we, we take in, but, Lord, things that we also put out. Father, that we would turn those words into action. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to start in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and, and 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city, Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I gave you. My point is, is that God is in complete control of the situation, which is something that we in the church so easily forget, right? Uh, God didn't create the world in which he himself uh, is in the world or a part of the world or a thing in the world. God is outside of space and time. He didn't just create the world and kind of wind it up like a, like a watch and set it aside and let it tick off time. God created a world in which he is intimately involved with us. We, we hear people today, even in the church, say things like the universe, the cosmos, or your higher power to describe the mystical or the mysteries or, you know, that unknown thing that's out there. And it's not uncommon to hear someone say like uh, something like, well, the universe is trying to tell you something. Or, or they'll say, uh, the universe is inside you. And it all sounds spiritual and it all sounds, you know, transcendent, it all sounds mystical, it all sounds a little edgy, but it's really just a bunch of fake worldly religion repackaged. Agreed? Because the Bible teaches us that at the very heart of the Christian faith is the sovereignty of God. And that God is an independent, self-existent being who created and governs the universe and is intricately involved with everyday matters of the world, including people. Listen to these couple of verses uh, and, and hear God's heart for you and I. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. Psalm 50, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and all the creatures of the field are mine. Psalm 20, uh, 32 verse 8, 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Are you getting the picture? One more. Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Now, let me ask. Does that... Does that, any of those verses sound like some ethereal, wispy, cosmic entity is trying to say something to you? Or trying to get your attention in some way? Or do those verses speak about a God who actually cares about you? Who cares about me? Who cares about this world? A God who we can trust has our best interest at heart. Amen? I can say that again. A God who cares and has our best interests at heart. We just sang the song. Amen. He comes looking for us. Amen. A God who loves us so much that he has given us the very best that he has so that we can have a right relationship with him. He gave us the very best. And that's the God who is in complete control of our world. And he's the God who's in control of our lives and the situations that we're in as well. You see, God cared about the people of Nineveh so much that he determined to send a prophet to them who would call them out of their sinfulness so that they could be redeemed. One of the definitions of wisdom is knowledge applied. Make sense? When we talk about the wisdom of God, we're referring to the ability of God to, to apply his knowledge, and we know that God has all knowledge, including foreknowledge, to work a means to an end. And in Jonah, it's almost as if we're watching God working in Jonah's heart to help bring about his desire that the people of Nineveh have the opportunity to repent. Which brings me to my second point. And the fuller theme of chapter 3, it all comes down to grace. It's all about grace. Right after Jonah is vomited up on the shore, God says, get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and preach the message I gave you. Now, now I have to confess here that there were many times as a kid when my parents' will and my will were in direct conflict with one another. <laughs> and I assure you that the vast majority of the time, my parents' will won out. Amen. Whether by way of discipline, coercion, and occasionally what felt like fear of death, <laughs> I generally ended up doing what I was told to do in the first place. Amen. And to be sure, God and Jonah weren't on the same page. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh, and go, Jonah wanted to go anywhere else. They disagreed, and God was able to bring Jonah about with a change of heart. When I read verse 2, to me it's as if God, you know, has to fish spit Jonah out on the beach, and he walks up and he says, now, brushes him off, slaps him on the bottom, and says, now go to Nineveh and tell him what I told you to tell him. 
Been there, done that, right? You see, during his time in the belly of the fish, Jonah, you might remember, repented. We talked a lot about that. And God was doing what God does best. He showed mercy towards Jonah and gave him grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, mercy refers to that compassion of God that forgives our sin and brings us into favor with God. Grace is that divine influence by which we are purified from our unrighteousness and our soul is supported after it has received God's mercy. Grace is that God-given gift that is able to give us the strength to endure the trials that we come up against and the difficulties and enables us to remain faithful even to the very end. Charles Spurgeon said, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, grace is the most predominant attribute of God. And this mercy and grace were shown to Jonah in his time of need as well. See, I believe that we can see the truth of Hebrews 4.16 being played out right here in Jonah chapter 3. And we're about to see God extend that mercy and that grace to the people of Nineveh as well. Which brings me to my third point. God is serious about you and I sharing the gospel. God is serious about this. Regardless of where that fish vomited Jonah up on the, on the shore, he had a long, difficult journey in front of him. He had a long way to go. Maybe as much as 500 miles, which could have easy, easily have taken him several weeks to get to Nineveh, right? And God called Nineveh a great city two different times. And by ancient standards, it certainly was a great city. In fact, Historians say that it was probably the largest city in the world at the time. It had magnificent walls surrounding the city, nearly eight miles long to get around it, 35 feet tall and 49 feet thick in some places, with 15 gates that entered into the city. And around that was the suburb. The city itself was 1,850 acres. They've dug this all up so they know. That's three square miles. That's a big city in ancient times. And that, again, that doesn't include the suburbs. Jonah 3 says it took three days to see it all, depending on how that's translated. Some say it takes three days to walk across it. Some days say it took three days to see it all. Historians disagree on the population of Nineveh, uh, during Jonah's time, but estimates run, estimates run anywhere from 120,000 to as many as 300,000. In Jonah 4.11, one of the last verses in, in the book, it says, uh, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left? And therein causes the problem because we don't really know what that means. 120 people who don't know the right from the left, does that mean little kids? Does that mean 120,000 people who don't have understanding? Does it, mean, does it mean they're not accountable for their sins? What, we don't know what it means. But 
regardless of how many there, people there were, this is a big city. It's a big place with all the trappings and all the evils that run rampant in big cities. Uh, the author and scholar uh, C.W. Graves, he said, Nineveh was impressed on the conscience of mankind by little else than murder, plunder, suppression, and the violence of the weak by war and manner of all kinds of physical violence. So the picture we get is one of a place where God is absent, sin is rampant, and life is cheap. Which is much the same way that we might think of New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, right? Those big cities in America today. And once there, Jonah had a message that he was to proclaim. And so Jonah starts his way through the city crying out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Simple message. And to his dismay, the people began to repent. Jonah, Jonah most likely would have walked through the surrounding suburb of the city and crying out his warning until he came to one of those 15 gates that I told you about. And at those gates, he would have most likely been met by some kind of a guard, someone watching who's coming in and out. Because remember, they had to be looking for their enemy who would try to get into the city to overtake them, which is why they had such massive walls. And so once Jonah got there, most likely the guards either would have taken his message and more likely him, they would have just taken, taken him to the king. I have a message to give to the king and he's going to come give that, king, uh, that message to the king himself. And it doesn't say so, but I, but I think that's most likely what happened because the king seems really urgent about this. We're told that then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called and fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of, Nineveh, king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, removed his robe from himself, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued this proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let no man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink. Furthermore, let both man and beast be covered with sackcloth and have everyone call out earnestly to God. Let each one turn from his evil ways and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's an amazing proclamation from the king of a secular city. Can you imagine the governor of New York doing something like that? The mayor of Los Angeles or Chicago saying something like that? Now, notice that the word repent doesn't appear anywhere in there, but we actually see the actions of the people that says they are, in fact, turning around. They are repenting from their sin. And Jesus tells us in Matthew that the people of Nineveh actually repented at the preaching of the gospel. Matthew 12, 14 says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. God takes the spreading of the gospel seriously. So much so that he's worked several miracles, I think seven up to this point, just to get Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. He takes this seriously. You see, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh any more than you and I want to go to New Jersey. 
or Philly or New York or any of those others, right? He didn't have anything in common with these people. He didn't have anything to do with them. And he had no interest in how these people lived their lives. But as I told you before, as believers, we have to have on our mind what God has on his mind. And that's people. We have to have on our mind what God has on his mind, and that's people. This whole book, this whole thing, front to back, is about one thing. God's relationship with mankind. That's what it's all about. Romans 10 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? You know, every week, Pastor Steve sends you out of this service, whether you're here in person or joining us online, with a mission to be living evidence of God's love by showing people Jesus. So the question that I have for you today is, what will it take for the people of God to share the gospel of God in our Nineveh? To our neighbors, our communities, even within our own families. I've been told many, many many times over the years that not everyone is an evangelist. And I get it, I do, I understand honest. But I'm not talking about you being an evangelist. I'm actually talking about love. I'm talking about you loving your family and your friends and your neighbors so much that you feel compelled to show them Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sharing the gospel, in my opinion, is the greatest act of love that any person could ever do. See, God loves people, and he wants us to love them too. Did you know that the phrase love one another is used 11 times in the New Testament, but that the theme is found over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible? Even in Leviticus, that Old Testament book of the law, says the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your your native-born. Love them as yourself. Because without love, all of this means absolutely nothing. Just a good concert this morning and some dude up there talking. Verse 10, it says, When God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, he relented from the disaster he had threatened to bring upon them. When Jonah repented, God gave him a second chance and showed him mercy and grace. And when the people of Nineveh repented, God gave them a second chance and showed them mercy and grace. And when the people that you share the message of Christ with, your loved ones, your family, and your neighbors repent, you can know with absolute certainty that he will extend to them that same mercy and grace as well. And really, that's what the message of Jonah chapter 3 truly is. It's probably best summed up by the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. 
But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even when we were dead or because of our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Heavenly Father, thank you for mercy. Oh, Lord, thank you. I certainly don't deserve it. But, Lord, you give it so freely. Thank you for grace, Lord, that unmerited favor that you just continuously pour on your people. And, Father, now give us the courage to go to our Nineveh and share the gospel. And, Lord, let us share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others would come to know you as well. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. We thank you for the strength. In your precious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com, follow the Get Involved tab, and RSVP to our next meet and greet.